0: All right, amen to that testimony, man. The Lord is powerful in His work. May you say the name of Jesus and great things happen. Man, that's just it. There's no name, there's no name like His name. So, hey, praise His holy name. We're going to lift His name high up today. And as we're continuing on our Philippians uh, series called Joyride, we come into chapter four today. So, we have this closing chapter to everything we've been in for the past some 20-something weeks, and we see Paul is going to open up with something. Man, don't, don't tell me this one's going to die too. We'll just keep going through microphones so we get them all, man. I don't care. All right? But, hey, Paul is going to open up this closing chapter with something very pertinent and very strong because he is going to use the words stand firm. After everything we've talked about, and we know he's speaking to the church at Philippi, he is going to make a call to his brothers in Christ, his sisters in Christ, to stand. So we think about standing firm, and then we look at the weekend that we're in today where we celebrate the birth of a nation. And we know there there came a point in July of 1776 where a group of people, had to decide they were going to stand for what they thought was right. That they were going to stand against Britain, a a tyrannical government that that was going to control how they worshipped and who they worshipped. And so they stepped out to make a stand of independence, to free this nation. So it is the birthday of the United States of America. And there's much to celebrate today, guys. There really is our freedom, our freedom of speech, like we talked about, to to share the word of God, to share the name of Jesus, our our freedom of religion to come here and hold worship service. So there's so much to be thankful for. But in the midst of that, we have to be very careful that we, we can be prideful, we can be patriotic about our country as we should be. But we have to be careful that we don't worship America, that we don't. Worship a nation. You see, because America is not what we worship. America is not the reason we worship. Jesus is. But praise God for the freedom we have in this nation, unlike many nations, to proclaim and speak and worship the name of Jesus. And we need to be thankful for that. You know, we have a lot of people that rightly want to stand for America, stand for its constitution. But I wonder how many of those that would say, man, they're willing to put themselves out on the line for the nation and for the Constitution and for our rights. I wonder how many of those are willing to put themselves out on the line for the name of Jesus and the truth of his word. Because, hey, if if we're willing to die for our nation and, and the freedom we have, that's great. Many have died so that we could have this freedom. But if we're willing to die for a nation but not willing to live for Jesus and stand on his word, then there's a problem. Amen. Everybody should be clapping for that. Because we love America. We love what it stands for. But we love our allegiances to Jesus over anything else. Which brings us to the topic that Paul is calling this church at Philippi today to do. He's not saying, hey, stand against Rome. Stand for your freedom against Rome. He's saying, stand for Jesus in the word of God. And guys, today, as we celebrate our stance of freedom in this country, we need to even more so be ready to stand firm for Jesus today. Because I'm going to tell you, in this great country that we live in, we know that things are turning. Things are turning fast. Look how fast morality has changed in this nation over the past 50 years, for those of you that have seen it happen. Look at how much has changed in the past 20 years. It's accelerated the past 20 years. And I would argue even accelerated more the past two years. And it's scary. So although this is a great nation and it was founded on Christian principles and we can celebrate that. We know today that if the Constitution and and everything was rewritten by the government that's in place today, it wouldn't look like that, would it? Guys, fastly we are becoming a nation that's not one nation under God, but this one nation under self. And this one nation under everything but God. We kick God out of everything. We kick God out of school. We kick God out of courtrooms. We don't want to say anything, not even the Pledge of Allegiance or anything that, that, because it says God in it. We kick everything that has God out. So although we celebrate America, we must realize that there is a devastating turn in our country that we must stand with allegiance to Jesus to try to shine the light of Christ to a world that's going in the opposite direction. The call from Paul here today is to do just that. So let me pray for us real quick before we dive into God's word and learn from this passage of what it looks like to stand firm in our faith. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we praise your holy name today. We lift you high and we magnify you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for this nation. We thank you for America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, Father. We thank you for the people that stood for our freedom, that we could have this freedom of speech, this freedom to worship, Lord. It's so important and it's not everywhere across the world. So Lord, we praise you for that, for where we live. Lord, help us to take advantage of it, to do your work, to not stay quiet. Because if we have this freedom and we stay quiet and sit back with our, and sitting on our hands, Lord, what have we done? We've wasted an opportunity. There's people in so many nations that can't proclaim loudly the name of Jesus. They have to to meet in underground churches and, and homes and keep quiet or they'll be thrown in jail. And they would Die to be able to proclaim the name of Jesus publicly. Lord, what a shame if we had this opportunity in this great nation. We celebrated it this weekend, but we never took advantage of what we celebrated. So Lord, today our message from your word is timely because your call is to stand firm. Stand firm for Christ. Lord, it's a message that's needed today in our world. And Lord, we need you to strengthen warriors for Jesus who resolve in their heart that they're going to stand for you in the truth of your word so that other people can see Christ. Because as Paul's going to say here, the Lord is near. Lord, you're watching, and there must not much time left on the clock. So Lord, I pray that you would do your work through the presentation of your word, and we would leave here changed, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our passage today is Philippians, and we're in chapter 4, as I alluded to. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 here today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Word of God says this, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore, Euodia, and I implore, Syntethy, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Very powerful passage of Scripture. And some may think, "Ah, there's not much in there in verses 2 and 3. But what we're going to see is this first call from Paul to stand firm is followed this week and next week as we cover these verses ahead by what it looks like to stand firm, to be men and women of God. When you think of stand firm, what do you think of? You think of something strong, right? Something grounded, something rooted, something very mature, that's, that's seasoned the storm. And if you saw the, the picture I put out on Facebook, is this lighthouse with the storm and the waters crashing around it and, and the waters beating against it, but that lighthouse stood. And in the midst of that was a light that went out to the ships to guide them back in. Guys, that's what God is calling us to be in America. Did you know that? In the world in which we live, God is calling us to be a lighthouse for him which means we have to stand strong in the storm. We have to still let our light shine in the midst of the storm. We can't let it go out. How easy is it for us, though, in the midst of a storm to not let our light shine? Because we're all human, right? And and let's be be honest, trials, adversity hurt. And it's it's so easy for us to, to back away from our faith and to not stand strong because we're hurting as well. But our call today from Scripture is to stand. And you know, if Paul's going to make a, a call right here at the beginning of a passage, that this is going to be a big one, right? So we're called to stand. What does that look like? What do they need to stand from? Why is Paul telling the church at Philippi they need to hold their ground? We've gone through it all. And we've talked about it. But I can recap because they were being basically persecuted and influenced By the Romans, by the Roman government. Governmental influence. Does that sound familiar today? Pressured they were by legalistic Judaizers. The ones who said that Jesus wasn't enough. That it was Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus Jewish customs. They were swayed by the the Gentile abusers of grace. The libertines as we talked about last week. who, Who said it didn't matter how they lived their life. And that you could have your sin in Jesus too. And inside of both of those was what? It's a false gospel that Paul called them out and called them enemies of the cross. I want you to think about that. How many false doctrines do we have being pushed out across our nation today? Do you see the need to stand firm? Do you see the message today, how beautiful it is and how it ties in even as we celebrate the birthday of this nation, how our call from our Lord today is to stand firm because We can't be swayed by governmental influence and then want to put a hush on the voice of Christians and those who claim the name of Jesus. We can't be swayed by false doctrine. And then here, we see they were facing challenges of disunity within the body of Christ in Philippi. And Paul so many times called them the unity, and he's going to do that again. How much division do we see in the United States of America today? Satan is at work And he's trying to divide. He is the author of division. God is the author of unity within the body of Christ. And then Satan tries to sneak in, and he's dividing the church body so well. I mean, all through this whole pandemic, you've seen it. With open, closed, mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, you name it. And and, and and the enemy is getting in and dividing people over peddly stuff that's temporal and doesn't matter. When eternity is at stake and the enemy wants to come in and divide. So Paul is calling them to not give in to governmental influence. To stand firm for Christ and his word. To not give in or not fall for false doctrine. And to make a stand for unity. To not be divided. We're going to hear and see all that again here today. And we know the Bible, if you read the New Testament, teaches us that our own stability, our spiritual stability, comes first from God and through the Spirit, but then as we know God's Word. So many people are swayed for false doctrine and swayed to be quiet because they don't know the Word of God. And that's a huge problem because we cannot stand unless we grow deep in God's Word, become rooted and founded in His truth. Because after that, then comes perseverance. What's James 1 say? Say we must let perseverance finish its work so that we will become spiritually mature and complete. Do you want to grow to be spiritually mature and complete? We all should say yes to that. Then we have to persevere. How do we persevere? By being grounded in the truth of God's word, of who he is and what his word says. That's the only way we're going to stand, guys. That's That's it. There's no way to stand outside of that. I love how Paul, again, lovingly calls the pastors and teachers to equip the saints of God's word. Turn back with me two pages in your Bible. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. You're already in Philippians 4. You can turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read verses 11 through 15 and put this back in front of you. Because this is beautiful how this all ties in with what we're talking about today. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here we go, you ready? To a perfect man to measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here we go that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You see the call to stand? By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Beautiful call for us to grow up in the word and he's equipping people to teach the word. But make no mistake, if you just depend on me to stand up here on a Sunday morning, and you just depend on Tim or your life group leader or whoever to present the word of God maybe once or twice more in a Bible study or a life group through the week, if that's all you're doing to study the word of God, you're in trouble. If you only ate twice a week, what would happen to you eventually? You will die. You will be malnourished. You will get a disease. Your immune system will be lowered. Hey, your spiritual immune system is lowered if you only feast on God's word twice a week. Can I tell you that? You're lowering your spiritual immune system and you're susceptible to incoming viruses of the world because they're out there. And Paul's calling everybody to stand. And we can't stand unless we grow. We know the word of God. First Peter 2, two says to For us to desire pure milk of the word so that we may grow. Just like a baby longs for that milk. It's inside. Nobody has to tell the baby it's time to eat. It's inside of him. A desire. And he'll let everybody know it or she'll let everybody know it if they're not getting it, right? That's the desire that we should have. Nobody should have to tell you to get in your word. You should hunger for it. You should hunger. Say, man, I I don't know everything that the Bible says, but I want to know. You know, and just get hungry. I I remember when the Lord got a hold of my life, man, and and just really started doing his work, man. And I had totally surrendered everything to him. I had a hunger for the word. I mean, just a complete hunger. And I remember reading through the whole New Testament in a matter of like two or three weeks. I mean, it was just like, I was just hungry. And, And I just wanted everything from it. Do you have that desire? God wants to put that in you. So we must block out time. If we we are determined to stand and you say in your heart today, yes, Brad, I want to stand for Jesus. I want to stand for the truth of his word. Then let's get in it. Let's know what it says. Let's dig deep. We got to block out time. We got to make it important to dig in his word. Because we're not going to be filled completely with the spirit of God for power and strength to stand unless we know it so we can stand on it. And I love it. Paul starts with a therefore in this passage. And we know what anytime we see a therefore, we ask yourself, what's it there for? Well, we know it's therefore, especially chapter three. Everything he said before now, but especially chapter three, what was he talking about? He was talking about being formed into Christ's likeness. Remember all those messages the past few weeks? And how he was striving for it, almost like a race that he considers himself not to attain it, but he pressed on for the goal to stand for Jesus, to be conformed into his image and his likeness. So therefore, because of all that, we should stand. We should resolve to stand the goal of Christ's likeness so that we can shine a light for Christ. Because like Twila told us here earlier there's a spiritual battle going on, whether you believe it or not. I didn't know everything that was going on in that camp this week. I didn't know that young girl was summoning demons in her, in her camp house. Can you believe that? Are you kidding me? I didn't know that. God did. And God brought us into that place for a purpose. And I believe he led Rick right to that girl on purpose to, to hand her that bar. I mean, how many teenage girls care to have a steel bar, right? But the Lord led him right there for a purpose because he knew what that was going to start to do to break down the enemy in her heart and her life. And then when the name of Jesus was proclaimed and the spirit was so present, man, he just had to leave. Had to get out. Man, it's just a beautiful picture of why we need to stand. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is real and our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we already had that series, and I don't need to dig deeper, but we know even in 1 Peter 5, 8, how it says to, to be, be of sober mind, be alert and be of sober mind, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And then in, cha- in verse 9 of that passage, after it says that, it says, so stand firm. So many times in Scripture, we have the call To stand. Did you know that? To stand firm. Good kickoff to this passage. So then after this, Paul is going to give us some ways of what it looks like when we do stand firm. Some ways maybe that maybe we don't think about. Because we know, hey, standing standing firm on the word of God and I need to stand on his truth. And yes, that's a huge part of it. We can't stand apart from that. But here's some other ways that we can live out our life of standing firm. We're gonna go through five of them today and more next week. So the first one today is to have unity and harmony in our relationships. Unity and harmony in our relationships, especially those within the body of Christ. Did you know that standing firm on the gospel And people seeing the light of Christ a lot of times can be solely dependent on the relationships we have inside the body of Christ. If people see us fighting and bickering and against each other, what does that say to the world? They don't have it together. Why do I want to be like them? I already fight with everybody anyway. Right? I already got got people backstabbing me. Why do I got to get in a church body and have somebody backstab me there too? I'm just speaking real. And so quick we backstab each other that we avoid each other in conflict instead of getting it right and letting Christ be at the forefront. So here we see the example from Paul with these two women. That there was these two women who were obviously in some kind of relational and and probably even a ministerial conflict because he's addressing the church. He's not just addressing their their personal issues by themselves. So we know there's, there's these two fighting females, if you will, in the body that's obviously gotten the word out. That there's a conflict there. That they're sitting on opposite sides of the, of the temple, right? Well, I'm, not, I'm not talking to her. I don't like her. You ever been there? We, we have this disunity. Man, Satan loves that. And he'll use that. Here's these two high-powered women, if you will, that work with Paul in, in the ministry... And they're fighting and paul is calling out to the church and to the leaders hey get these two battling bettys on the same page let's let's get some unity here let's stop this foolishness because it's breaking down the unity of the church and when paul uses this word here to help these women in verse three where he says i ask you to help these women the help in the Greek is a strong word because it's a word that's actually used to arrest or to bind someone. That's a little more than help, don't you think? That's like, go tackle these ladies, if you will. Get them off each other and get some sense knocked to them so we can have unity within the body of Christ. He's calling out to that level of urgency for unity. Why? Because disunity, especially in the body of Christ, is distracting. It takes away from the main focus. What's the main focus of the body of Christ? Jesus. When there's conflict and the focus becomes conflict between a person, where's the focus shift to? People. Circumstances. And takes the focus off of Christ. Because disunity, Satan loves. Distracting. It's Satan-pleasing. It's mission-confusing behavior. Guys, we must stay on target, followers of Christ. We must. We must stay on target. It's, we're, we're all different. God has some quirky people, and we're going to run into some conflict within the church body. It's going to happen. We're going to have some disagreement. But we can't let that divide us. We can't let that go to the extent where it takes the focus off of Christ. And we must resolve to go to our brothers, go to our sisters, like in Matthew 18, and get it right. We must Can we resolve today to get it right? So I ask you, who today do you feel you have a splinter with? Is it somebody in here? Is it somebody at church? Is it somebody in this community? Is it somebody even abroad within the body of Christ? Is it somebody in your family? Get it right. Don't let this unity happen. Why? Satan loves to get a foothold anywhere he can. Satan will take a foothold and he will run. And he will make the issue bigger than it is until he does his work. And divides so we must realize that Christ and his mission are bigger than any of our problems bigger than any of our relationship issues and that petty problems on this earth really in eternity do not matter they just don't sometimes we have to agree to disagree simple as that and to go on about our way as long as the disagreements doesn't have to do with the core foundational issues of God's Word Seek peace. Romans 12, 17 through 19. Beautiful picture. It says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, as it depends on who? You. Oh, you mean not the other person? They got to come to me first. They better, they better come asking forgiveness to me first, right? Uh uh-uh. uh. As much as it depends on you. Live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. As much as it has to do with us, we can have forgiveness in our heart. We can seek restoration. It's not on us what the other person does. That's between them and the Lord, and that's why the Lord says, hey, don't seek revenge because revenge is mine. If they don't get their heart right, let me take care of it. So in other words, if we try to step in and take care of it, we get in the way of what the Lord wants to do, and we just mess things up even further. We need to get out of the way and let the Lord do his work in that person's heart so that we don't cause them to even make possibly harden it even more call to unity is so huge and I don't think it's any mistake that it's right off the front right after this call to stand. Number two is we're to rejoice by choice. We're to rejoice by choice. In verse four, Paul commands the Philippians twice right here to rejoice. Why? Because we know that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And if there's no joy in our heart, if there's no joy coming out of our life, what are we sharing? What are we shining? The world is already depressed. The world's already searching for hope. And if we don't exude true joy, then we're just giving them what they already have. They're looking for joy. They're looking for peace. They're looking for hope. So Paul calls the church to rejoice, rejoice in the midst, even like Paul is in, and like we've talked about so many times, even in the midst of life's difficulties, to always be looking to glorify God's name. I love Psalm 70, verse 4, it says, Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you, and let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Do you love your salvation? Do you love what Christ did for you on the cross? Do you love what God wants to do through you? Then have joy, even in the midst of adversity. I don't know about you, but I've read the end, haven't you? Have you read the end? It turns out good for those who know Christ. It does not turn out good for those who don't. That means, ultimately, It does not turn out good for the United States of America. But it does turn out good for those who have surrendered to Christ inside of America. Can we see that? So many times we think that, oh, God, please bless our nation, bless our nation, bless our nation. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but eventually America's going to fall. Because we're turning our back on God. God can't bless a nation that turns their back on Him. That's why we saw that, that verse at the beginning from, from 2 Chronicles 7.14. says, hey, you know, humble yourselves, pray, turn from your wicked ways. That's repentance. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will hear your land. Hey, so many people pray for God to bless, God to heal our land, God to heal our land. He's waiting for people to repent. He's waiting for the United States of America as a whole to repent. God, we got it wrong. We need prayer back in our school. God, we got it wrong. We need to stand on the Ten Commandments. Yes, the very nature of why we were originally founded. And you see, as we've pulled away, you've seen God maybe pull away, maybe remove his hand because he can't be a part of that. God said in his word, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We have one nation under God on our money, but talk is cheap. Because our actions show that we're not one nation under God anymore. Not the God of the Bible. We're under under the lowercase g God of ourself. The lowercase g God of power. The lowercase g God of money. That's That's what the United States has fallen under as we continually progress and regress rather spiritually away from God. So we have this call to stand because we need to have joy because it ends well for the followers of Christ. The Bible tells us that we can rejoice because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. If you are in the will of God, if God is in your life and you are rock solid in his will and you're not in your will, you don't have ulterior motives, you are solely and purposefully looking to do the will of God and do kingdom work on this earth, nothing that comes against you in that will prosper. I can testify I've seen that at Impact Church. I can tell you that that I have seen so many attacks of the enemy, and all I do is surrender say, God, this is by you, for you. I don't want any glory. I just want to be used by you. It's my act of worship back to you to give you my life. And I've seen God just tear down strongholds. I've seen God push back obstacles. Tim Witt's been a part of it the whole time. He can testify to it just as much as I can. God is present. So help us to stay consecrated to him so that he continue to do his work. Amen. Give the Lord a big round of applause. Man, it's just beautiful to see God work. So when he is for us, nothing can be against us. It doesn't matter what opposition we face. Remember we talked about the baseball analogy last week or two weeks ago? How the home run is hit? Hey, Jesus has already hit the home run over the fence for those of you who love baseball. And get this, it's in the the ninth inning, like the second half of the ninth inning fashion. It's the walk-off style. There's no chance after it to refute it. It's the home run that's hit, the game is won, and now God is inviting you and me to run the bases, to stand firm and just to do and take part in what he's already done through only his power. So again, it doesn't matter, the first baseman tries to trip you and the second baseman elbows you and the shortstop punches you in the face and the third baseman tackles you and the catcher's blocking the plate. It doesn't matter, God's already won. It doesn't matter the resistance we have. We can have joy and take joy and we can get tackled, coming down third baseline, going to home plate, and we can still have a smile on our face because the victory's already won in Jesus. Give the Lord a big round of applause. We must rejoice. And we rejoice by choice. He says it twice. And it's not some kind of generic Slogan like Little Caesars, pizza, pizza. <laughs> it's rejoice. And hey, just so you get it, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Wipe the sourpuss look off your face and off your heart and put a smile on your heart. Even though the circumstances of life may not always put a smile on your face, you can have a smile on your heart because of Christ. Because that's what God puts there. Number three, stay humble. Stay humble. Our third call here, stay humble in verse 5. says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Stay humble. If you look at the, the Greek word on this, it's, it's kind of difficult sometimes to translate from Greek to English, but it is a shockingly gracious and untamed humility that this gentleness is talking about. It's a combination of humility that's compressed with graciousness, selflessness, and a mission of Christ in your life no matter what you face. And he's saying here, have a gentle spirit. It's kindness. You ever heard kill them with kindness? Well, you don't want to kill them. But anybody that's coming against you, spiritually speaking, we should show Christ's likeness. Now, that doesn't mean as a Christian we get pushed around and, and get stepped on everywhere we go. That's not what it's talking about either. But we exude the love and the humility of Christ to others. Jesus set us this example. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 2, where it says that Christ gave us this example that when they hurled insults at him, he had no retaliation. When he suffered, he had no threats. Isaiah 53 talks about that he was as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That he just took it in graciousness, knowing the whole time that the greater picture was eternity. Can we get that? That's why he didn't have to say anything. That's why you and I don't always have to say anything. That we can get the bigger picture of eternity and not retaliate back and show Christ to even those who persecute us. Jesus even said himself, man, you, you love those who love you? Great. Even the heathens do that, man. Love those who persecute you. Love those who hate you. Man, this type of reaction, if we can find it, if we can have it through the Spirit of God in our heart and our life, this type of reaction to injustice will shock people to think about Jesus. I promise you. They'll be like, what? That person just did that to him, and they didn't sue him? What? That person just did that to them, and they didn't call him out? They didn't call him names back? They didn't punch him back? They walked away? It's godly. It's godlike to show humility. God desires for us to respond in humility so people can see Christ in us in order for the gospel to be made known to the, to, even the, to the saved and the unsaved. So even followers of Christ can be like, man, man, that's that model. Remember that modeling we talked about a couple weeks ago? Modeling behavior of Christ-likeness so that when, you, when they expect you to complain, you compliment. When they expect you to get angry because it's warranted, you demonstrate peace. When they expect you to fold up in fear, you smile and express faith. When normal people spit back, you serve them. Wow. You take up a towel and serve. It's a beautiful picture of our Lord. And then he closes up, Paul does verse five, by saying, The Lord is near. Saying, After this, show gentleness to everybody. Then he says, The Lord is near. Do you get the correlation to that? Why should we so show gentleness? Why should we show this humility to everyone? Because the Lord is near. What does that mean? There's two ways where you could take the word near. One means he's close to us. Everybody knows the Lord is close to us, especially if you're a follower of Christ. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere anyway, and he's watching. The Lord is near means, hey, God is watching. watching. Let's show gentleness to everybody because the Lord wants to see it exuberated in our life. Because there will be a time, guys, where every single one of us, as a follower of Jesus Christ, will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how we lived our life. Did you know that? In a sense, it will play your life back like a movie. And we'll have to give account for how we treated people, for how how did we exuberate humility, did we... Shine the light of Christ. We know there's another judgment seat. That's the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be at that one, all right? Because that's for the lost. But there is a judgment still for the followers of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, to give an account for how you lived your life. The Lord is near. He's watching. We talked about last week, the story at the end of the message, about how it makes a difference when daddy's watching. Remember the story of the third string running back? And his dad was blind. But he died went to heaven so the next game when he got called in he played like he had never played before because he knew, he said hey that might be the only time that dad ever got to see me play daddy's watching i want to i want to perform well not out of legalism but to honor my god my lord who died for me so i want to live for him that's it offer gentleness And the second reason is, Lord is near. Another way to look at that, there's not much time left on the clock. We better go ahead and shine the light of Christ now because Jesus could come back at any minute. There's no time for playing games anymore. It's time to be serious about our walk with the Lord. Number four is trust. Number four, we want to trust over worry and have faith over fear. The Bible says right here, a huge verse, this could have its own sermon So, we're going to save it for later because we don't have much time left. I got to close this up. But it says, be anxious for nothing. I want you to think about that. Be anxious for nothing. How many times have I, how many times have you been anxious about things in our life? A lot. We are. It's human nature. So we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ. We have to deny our own flesh the anxiety, the fear. Because at the heart of anxiety is fear and distrust. And at the heart of distrust and worry is pride. of saying, God, I don't trust you. That I have to take things into my own hands in order to make sure things get done. We wouldn't say that out loud, but that's what's at the heart of it. That God, I don't trust you that you're going to do your work in your time and in my time. And so I need to worry a little bit. I need to, to struggle and stress and strain. I need to get on the phone and, and, and manipulate my people. I need to get on the phone and, and get my finances right and see what I can do. I need to fix this. I need to get. Up. And we take matters in our own hands when our call is to be still and know that he's God. We don't need to take matters in our own hands. He's at work. He's going to fight for you. Do you trust that? Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 27. Great call. I'm just gonna read that passage and speak no further and let the word of the Lord do its work today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 27. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Doesn't get any more clear than that, does it? Be anxious for nothing. Let's stop worrying about everything. Let's stop worrying and put our trust and our faith in God. He has our life In his hands. He has your next heartbeat in his hands. Your next breath. We have no control over any of that. But God does. Man, he follows in Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 32. He says, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Oh. That's what the people who don't know Christ worry about, in other words. Man, why would we worry about the same things they do when we supposedly have a heavenly father who has our life in his hands. It continues, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's beautiful. Kingdom-minded. Seek first God and his righteousness. Sink the life of sanctification that the Lord wants to live out and through you for his glory, and God will take care of the rest. We have to trust that. Worry is pride. Number five, our last point as we close. After saying, be anxious for nothing, then he's going to call us. How do you not worry? You pray. To live a life of standing firm, we must pray, it says, in everything. Everything. He tells them, instead of worrying, pray. I've often heard it said, if you're going to worry, why pray? And if you're going to pray, why worry? That's a great little thing to kind of think about. If we're going to pray about it, if we're going to truly put it in God's hands, why are we now going to sit here and stress and strain and worry about it? Yes, God wants us to stay active. He wanted the Israelites to stay walking toward the Red Sea that wasn't parted yet. But he told them, God's going to take care of that Red Sea. I'm sure they were scared as all get out as they walked toward that sea and trapped themselves even further from the Egyptians. But they trusted God to do the impossible. Do you? God wants you to keep walking. God wants you to keep walking forward, trusting him. Don't hunker down in a catatonic state of fear. Keep walking and trusting him and let God do his work. That's what our call is to do. The call here that Paul gives us in Philippians is to pour out your heart. Let God know everything. Have you done that? Do you pour out your heart? I mean, are you honest with God? Say, Lord, I... In my flesh, I'm scared. Help me. In my flesh, I'm worrying. In my flesh, I'm uncertain. But Lord, I want to trust you. I believe that your word is true and that your promises will come to be. So help me walk forward in that. As you plan ahead to to part the Red Seas, to part the the Jordan Rivers in front of me, to push back the waters that I could walk through on dry land. And then be honest with your motives as we pray. Motives are so huge. And the word of God even is very clear on that is that oftentimes our prayers aren't answered because we have the wrong motives. We have selfish ambition, selfish gain at heart. And God says, I can't honor that. I can only honor a heart that's pure. And hey, so our heart should be aligned with God's word when we pray. And our prayers should be aligned with God's word. And when we do that, when our prayers are aligned with God's Word and, in the, and with His will, then we can trust and know that whether it's the answer is yes or no, that we're in the center of where God wants us to be. And that's the beautiful part. Prayer does not prepare God to do your will. Prayer aligns and prepares your heart to do His. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is not the attempt to align God to do your will. Prayer should align our heart and prepare it to do God's will. Jesus even prayed that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that your prayer today? Lord, would you have your way in my life? Lord, would you have your way in my relationships? Lord, would you have your way in my job, in my finances? Would you have your way in my life? When we do that, verse seven closes it out by saying, when we pray like that, when we trust like that, when we rejoice like that, when we stand firm like that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is the heart of God reflected on the soul of the believer. God wants to grant you his peace. Jesus even said in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's peace in the midst of the storm for the follower of Christ. Do you have it? Whatever storm is raging, whatever you're going through right now, do you have a peace and trust and know that God's in control? And I love it how it ends. It says, this peace, not only will it be granted to you, but it'll guard your heart as beautiful in the most difficult of times, in the most challenging of situations in the United States of America, we can have the peace of God that will guard our heart in Christ Jesus. But that's only for the followers of Jesus. That's only for those who have surrendered their life to him. For those that have not surrendered their life to him, who don't live according to his word, who who don't honor him in their life, That promise isn't there. Instead of peace, you're going to have worry. You're going to have uncertainty. You're going to be running frantic like a hamster on a hamster wheel, trying to to get ahead in this life and never feel like you've ever achieved it. You're always going to have an emptiness in your heart and in your life because God was meant to fill that place in your life that you're looking to fill. So will you run to him and find that joy, that peace that he wants to give? Because I promise you, like the Bible says here, when it happens, it'll guard your heart. He'll guard your heart and give you a life that you never thought you would be able to live. Do you have that? Let's close our eyes, let's bow our head today. Does the peace of God guard your heart? Or are you worrying? Are you anxious today? Have you prayed and you've been honest with God? Have you surrendered your life to Him first and foremost? Today, if you haven't done that, I want to offer you this opportunity right now to have everything we've just talked about. To have the direction, the peace of God in your life that will guard your heart and give you the strength to stand in the most challenging times of your life. Doesn't mean everything's going to go good. If you heard me say, you're still going to walk through challenging times in life. Everybody does. But you'll have a peace in the midst of the storm that the world doesn't have, that the world can't give. Just like the eye at the center of a hurricane, when the storms and the wind are raging around it, there's this peaceful center of the storm that doesn't know anything's really going on. That can be in your heart today. Will you surrender it to Him? If you're here today, you've never committed your life to Christ, I want, to, I want you to offer this opportunity to receive Him today. I want you to pray a prayer. I'm going to lead you through from your heart to God's heart. And mean business with Him and realize that it's not the words alone that save you, that it's your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved, is what Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us. Will you confess Him as Lord of your life today? Or you say... Brad, I've, I've been a Christian some of my life, maybe a lot of my life, but lately I've drifted. I've, I've walked away. I've turned. I've, I've deviated. And today I want to come running back to the cross today like the prodigal son. I want to come back. If that's you, I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart. Mean business with God and rededicate your life back to Him. So to receive Him for the first time and rededicate your life, just say, Dear God, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of you, my only Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus, Lord, to the cross, giving his life, breaking his body, shedding his blood, that I could have forgiveness of my sin. Thank you for raising him three days later in victory over hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, I want to claim that victory right now in my life. And Lord, right now, my commitment to you is I'm ready to run the bases. I'm ready for you to use my life no matter the adversity that comes no matter the the, the trials that are set before me I'm going to resolve right now to stand I'm going to stand for you I'm going to stand for the truth of your word I'm going to bring unity to my relationships within the body of Christ I'm going to dig deep into the word and I'm going to fight to joy, to rejoice rejoice by choice So Lord, my commitment to you from this day forward is you have all of me. Use my life, Lord. I'm committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant business with God today. You received him for the first time or you rededicated your life. Would you boldly and unashamed raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. i meant business with God today. I'm not ashamed. Amen. We're going to close our service like we do each week at Impact and we're going to offer everybody an opportunity to Put action with their feet to what God's doing in your heart. So whatever that is, I'm going to encourage you to come do business with God. We'll call this stage an altar where you want to come just meet with the Lord and do what He's calling you to do. Maybe He's calling you to join this church. Maybe He's calling you to to get plugged in and serve. Maybe He's calling you to go out and be a witness to somebody that you know needs Christ. Maybe you need to go back and restore a relationship that's gone bad within the body of Christ or within your family. You need to restore unity today. You need to get that right. Whatever it is the Lord's laid on your heart, let's do business with the Lord. Let's get it right today. There'll be pastors up here. We can pray with you and for you if you like. If you don't need us, you can come right past us and kneel at this altar and do business with the Lord. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing with all our heart, with all our voice. And most of all, let's move our feet as the Lord leads.